Hey everyone, welcome to our third episode of Revenue on the Rocks. So this topic was again inspired by some feedback we got on the first one and some LinkedIn comments we actually saw about the first two posts. And I have to say, at first when I saw these comments, I was a little insulted because it was like, hey, this is really cool. What about customer success? I was like, well, are we not enough? Marketing and sales not enough? We have to do the entire go-to-market funnel? But all joking aside, understand retention, churn, all that's a really hot topic right now. It's on everyone's mind. So understand that people were curious, how can sales and marketing help with churn and retention? It's often just left with CS to deal with and to think about. So I thought it'd be interesting today if we talked about from our own experience at Novatic, at other companies, how sales and marketing can, one, align so we're getting better buyers to CS, but also actually help in a few different ways to improve retention and just create happier customers overall. But before diving into the very uplifting topic of churn, we'll start with a fun question. Ben, what you drinking today? Yeah, excited to share that I am switching it up this time. So I do have a white wine this afternoon, which is a Chardonnay. I don't know the specific brand or anything necessarily about it, but decided to wean off of the Bud Light or Coors Light. So we're going with some white wine tonight. It's funny because I'm drinking a beer today, which I purposely did because I was like, okay, I've been drinking a Cabernet every single week. I'm going to get a beer. It is a sour if that counts. Like that feels like the wine of beers, but at least it's a little different. You know, we probably should share with the audience that last week we were in Scottsdale for our B2B MX conference, and Natalie has been wanting to get me to try a martini for a very long time now, which I finally did, and I can confirm that those are foul, and I will probably never have one again. My next question was literally going to be like, oh, why it's not a martini, Ben? Aren't those your favorite now? Um, yeah, we tried. We tried martini team. Ben was not a fan. Either way, cheers. Cheers to episode three. Cheers to episode three. And... I'm really excited for this topic, as I am every topic, but as I kind of mentioned, this is really what everyone's talking about. And I'm just a big believer of like, if you get better buyers up front, if you're more aligned throughout the entire process, you'll get happier customers. And then from marketing's end, if you have happy customers, you get more word of mouth leads, you get more case studies, you get more content. We don't think about enough how much this also benefits us because it's so easy for marketing to just pester CS and be like, why don't we have those case studies and the data and better relations with our customers? But maybe it's on us to get some happier customers. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it as well. I do sort of feel like the way that CS thinks about sales is probably pretty close to like the stereotypical thoughts that sales sometimes has about marketing, which is to say, and we've already covered this, sometimes sales reps think certain things about marketing. Well, I'm pretty sure CS probably thinks a lot of the same thing about sales, which is like, you know, a bunch of dumb salespeople that pass us leads that are annoying or they oversold to this customer and now it's my problem. There probably is some some validity to that, but excited to kind of dive into to that relationship. Ben, why is there so much friction between sales and CS? This one is pretty easy for me. I think it honestly just comes down to a little bit of goal misalignment. You really take the gloves off and you maybe give your sales reps or CS members some like truth serum. The, the truth will come out, which is to say that sales reps goals are to close deals and to grow revenue. Their goal isn't to create the most perfect cookie cutter customer to hand off to the post sales team. Honestly, that's just not really what we think about. Our goal is to close the deal in front of us. Now, post sales, their goal is to create long-term sustaining, happy customers. So there are probably a full of situations where we close a deal, we did our job, we pass it over to CS, but in the back of our mind, we sort of know mm, this is going to be a tricky account or use case isn't actually super strong for, for us. And this is going to be maybe a, a delinquent customer pretty quick for post-sales. So 
I think sometimes we put post sales in a tough spot because we're closing deals kind of irregardless because we think that that is our job. I think it's also hard because you guys don't have a lot of shared wins too. I was trying to think why is CS in marketing, why our relationship isn't more rocky. And it's because we have to do customer marketing together and there are shared wins with that. So it's not just friction. It's really something we have to like work towards and have goals together that we can hit. Versus sales and CS, it really does just feel like a conveyor belt, like sales deals with it and then they pass it on to CS to deal with it later. I think oftentimes when we do have the conversations with CS, we view them as potentially trying to put roadblocks in our deals. You know, like a customer success person might say, hey, Ben, I've had a handful of deals lately that I've been working with with onboarding and they have all mentioned that they were excited about ABC. Well, just so you know, can do ABC, but we kind of do it in this way. So moving forward in the pre-sales process, would you be willing to explain that this is exactly the technicality of how we do this? And a salesperson's first thought when they hear that is, no, I'm not going to do that. Why would I put a roadblock in my way? Why would I add one more potential objection or another technical scoping call? Like, I'm just going to broadly say that we can do A, B, and C. And I'm not saying that's the right way to sell. And I'm also not saying that's what we do at Nevadic. But I think, you know, generally speaking, that is potentially something that would cause friction. And I also think a lot of times sales is kind of a scapegoat for bad marketing. You guys are given our leads. And so we're not aligning marketing to the right people. You're just going to close what you're given. And again, since CS and marketing generally have a better relationship, they don't think to go that down funnel to look at marketing and say, are they going after the right ICP? Are they going out the right people? And that could be a source of all this tension and no one thinks to look at the root of the problem. You beat me to it. I think one common enemy is probably the wrong term to use, but which is what I'll say is can be marketing in this situation. If I get a shit lead or a lead that I'm not super excited about, but I close it and then I pass it over to post sales and they immediately start rolling their eyes or they're delinquent customer. They're going to be like, Ben, what the heck? Why'd you close this deal? And I'm going to say, what do you mean? Natalie passed it to us or marketing is the one who gave us this lead. So you do sort of find out who the I guess, person is officially to blame. Sometimes it does come down to marketing. And that is something, a common denominator that CS and sales can have together. Chances are, if I'm working with an account that is a little bit tough or isn't a good fit, it's going to be the same experience for CS. So we both are coming through it together. And then from there, we can determine, hey, these are the types of customers that maybe we need to avoid, at least not put marketing resources to moving forward. And I think the big actual takeaway from this when we were talking about it is if you sales and CS is saying, hey, here are the customers we should go after, make sure that's shared with marketing and that you all agree. I've seen so many times if you ask a company, what is their ICP? Who is their ideal customer? You ask one department versus the other versus the other, you might get different answers. So it's so important that everyone is giving that same answer in the go-to-market function or else you're going to get that tension. And I have a little bit of a funny story on this. Last week, Ben, I'm sure you remember when you, you had a long call day, we were at the conference, you were taking basically all the calls and you slacked me and you're like, are we still marketing in this specific group? I won't say what it is, but we now know it's not a good fit. And we were, the answer was no, but I could tell you were looking for someone to blame that bad call on us. <laughs> Why are we still marketing in this group? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, when I'm on like, you know, 12 customer calls a day and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and a couple of them are a really bad fit. The first thing I'm going to do is, is ping you, Natalie, and say, what the heck? Why are we still trying to sell to these people. I might be able to close them, but even if I do, post sales is not going to be stoked about them. It's, it's not a great fit. So that is a perfect example of, of that full circle experience. Marketers, right? Like we got to own that. If we get that feedback, we got to take it and try to improve and make sure we're all aligned because again, it's, it ultimately helps us too to have good fits. 
more thought I just had, Natalie, around maybe why there sometimes is a little bit of tension between the customer success or post-sales team and the sales team is typically the features or the product requests are pretty different. Sales usually gets really excited about like the sexy new feature that they can show off in their demos or they can post about or whatever that may be. And post-sales is usually a lot more focused on practical features that maybe are a little bit more behind the scenes or a little bit more granular as you go into building out Nevatic specifically. So I think a lot of times on the sales side and CS side, we're fighting for that roadmap real estate, if you will, around, hey, I want to prioritize my, my features that I really want because this will help me win more deals versus CS who's like, okay, but like these features will really help us get onboarded customers. And we already have paying customers that need X, Y, and Z. So I think that could potentially be contentious there. I think we need to trademark the word roadmap real estate. A lot of people can relate to that in the go-to-market motion. It's kind of fighting for a little bit of space on product, trying to make the argument. Even marketing, like I have my ideas of what I'd like to see sometimes. This leads now to my next question that I think is going to be kind of a divisive topic for, I'd say, the broader community. I think we're aligned on the answer. But Ben, who do you think is responsible for filtering out high quality leads versus low quality leads? Is it ultimately sales or marketing? I got to stick up for my salespeople here. I, I think it's, I think it is on marketing. I might disagree with that, but let's just be honest with ourselves. Again, as we discussed, sales reps are there to close deals, to hit their targets, to hit accelerators, these sorts of things. It would be unrealistic to expect a sales rep to be that filter of, hey, you're interested in Nevada, you want to pay us, but I can't work with you because you're not the best fit for us. That's just not going to happen. That's not real. So I would definitely say it is on marketing. Actually agree. Most marketers are probably shaking their heads and saying, but, but that's what we have BDRs for, to qualify. I think we're all sick of qualification, better experience if marketers just get it right from the beginning. Now, to defend my marketers out there, what's really hard, and especially if you're doing more of a demand trend tra strategy, dark social, you're not doing ads where you can kind of cherry pick who you're going after, you're casting a wider net and you might get some bad fish in there. Can't always exactly control if you're not exactly targeting. But one way we can combat that is our website. Especially in startups, a little scared to not appeal to everyone with our website. But a really good website should turn people away. And Ben's been in conversations where this has happened. I can't tell you the amount of times I've had this debate where I've suggested a headline or we call it specific personas on our website. And someone will say, oh, but won't this group of people or won't this person feel turned away if we write that? And the answer is yes, that's the goal. Not everyone should like our website. It shouldn't appeal to everyone because the goal of the website should answer, is this product for me, yes or no? I had something really similar written down, Natalie, and I really just want to reiterate this point. So if you're a startup, like listen closely to this, this is one of the strongest and best lessons I've ever learned since working at a startup. It's scary. It's counterintuitive. Your co-founders are going to push back a little bit. But the best thing you can do for your startup is find what your ICP is, find where you deliver the most value and attack that vertical, that persona, whatever that may be, rather than trying to serve a broad spectrum of use cases, verticals, personas, you're going to have so much more success hyper-focusing on an area where you can deliver a ton of value. It's going to help you build brand. People are going to fall in love with your product. It will help you differentiate between competitors. And it's also more scalable. It's really hard to build a playbook on the sales side and the post-sales side for multiple different use cases. It's way easier to say, we sell to this group for this use case and onboard for this group in this use case. As a startup, the best thing you can do is figure out your, not niche, but 
where you really win and attack that and bleed that dry. And it's not to say you won't serve all of the different use cases eventually, but if you really want to get fast traction and stand out against competitors, don't say we're a solution for all these 15 different use cases. Say we do this one or two thing the best, and it will also help you scale. I also just think there's too much tech out there to be claiming you do everything for everyone. Eventually you can get there, but when you're small early days and we have so many resources, you cannot be spreading that across five different use cases because part of the value prop you're bringing to your customers on the CS side is you should be an expert in your field. We're going to talk about ICP a lot in this podcast, but it's a lesson that we learned the hard way here and went through a lot of conversations, iterations of ICP. The smoothest our go-to-market has ever felt is when we finally all aligned and said, yes, this is who we're going after. No, we are not going after that use case. Not even a maybe. Don't just say who is your ICP, but who are you saying no to and be firm about it. Because then it's marketing. Again, you're not going to go after that group that's going to piss off Ben. You're not going to spend money there. You're not going to get those leads coming in that ultimately are just going to churn. And from a scalability perspective, it's going to help you hone in on your product as well. Because now we can hyper-focus on features that are dedicated towards our specific ICP versus one minute we're building a feature over here for Natalie over, and now we're building this feature over here for Ben in, in his use case. And it will also, as a smaller company or a startup, help you scale with maybe more limited resources on the CS side. So if we have one or two onboarding or CS reps, well, guess what? They have a flawless playbook to get onboarded our ICPs and, and allow them to see value very, very quickly versus having to pretend to be an expert or have five or six different playbooks that they now need to be an expert in, depending on the use cases that we pass them. So I just cannot harp that point home enough, which is find what your ICP is and attack that. Okay, we can talk forever about find your ICP. What does this actually mean practically? The biggest thing we do is when you go and run a churn report, because I think a lot of people run a churn report and you say, okay, what's maybe the industry or what sales rep did they work with? What was their sales cycle? Like you look at all these metrics in the sales cycle, but you don't go that step further and say, what was their lead source? How'd they first hear about us? How'd, how'd we get in contact with them? And go in and break out your unhealthy and healthy customers by that, by lead source, as well as we also always do industry, company size, title. But you'll get a pretty clear picture of, okay, these people are our best fits and they came from this channel and these people are bad fits and they came from this channel. And you might not be able to entirely cut spend on one channel, but you at least know where you should be investing more in. So Ben, we talked a lot about pre-sales, how marketing and sales can make a difference, aligning on your ICP. But what are your thoughts on how post-sales, you know, once they're a customer, marketing and sales can make a difference? I think something we've done at Nevada that has been, I hope, at least helpful is a lot of post-sales is obviously customer-facing. You're working with the customers that we pass over. And there is a, at least a decent amount of, of selling that still occurs on that side. And so we run trainings, or at least we did for a while, every month, every couple of months, where you know I would sit down with some of our post-sales reps and ask them, hey, what parts of the conversation are you struggling with? What talk tracks can I potentially help out with? Like on the sales side, we're constantly honing in discovery, what sorts of questions, what examples or areas of the software resonate very well on these different topics. So what I would encourage sales teams to do to help out your post-sales team is obviously they're professionals at what they do, but a large part of that is selling and that's where sales are professionals. So you can help your CS teams be like, hey, for example, when you know we pitch analytics at Nevatic, this is what we show, this really resonates. Customers love this example. And now post-sales can utilize some of that same talk track or vernacular when they're pitching it on the post-sale side or when customers have questions about it. So 
take what you know and, and sort of help apply that to your, your CS colleagues as well. And I'd kind of give the same advice for marketing. I see a certain LinkedIn post around a topic does really well. So very practically, I saw that a post about interactive demos and ads recently did really well, something I wasn't expecting. And relaying that back to CS and saying like, hey, we saw this topic really blow up. We also have a blog post about it. Maybe we need to start training more of our customers on this use case. A lot of this podcast, we talk about share learnings, but that is a big one because it just becomes, I kind of hate this term, but I'm going to say it, it just becomes a big flywheel where if you see what resonates, then you, sorry. I hate, I hate that term so much. Uh, I almost want to cut it out, but I won't because it's just one of those terms that the second everyone hears it, they're like, now I need to do it because flywheels are effective, right? Efficient growth. Okay. Anyways, it just helps. Customers will hear about it. They'll try it. You'll get more customer ideas and then it'll fuel future content. And that was going to be my other thing. Create content for your customers too. I think when we're thinking about new blog posts or SEO, it's usually just top of funnel keyword research. But when you create content that your sales and CS team actually wants and prospects and customers are asking for, one, you know it's going to resonate with your ICP. And two, honestly, that's been some of our highest performing, like that I wouldn't even think would rank well or do well or post well, because again, no, that's the exact questions that prospects and customers are asking for. Yeah. The, the other recommendation I would have too, and, and this isn't actually answering your question at all, but it, it kind of ties back to what I was saying, which is, you know, sales reps can help CS reps hone in some of those questions and, and best practices. Well, the opposite is true for, for sales reps. And I, this literally just happened today. So Elisa runs our onboarding in CS here at Nevada, and she's fantastic. I, I kind of had a one-on-one -on -one with her today and I said, you know, Elisa, there's two areas of free trials that when I run free trials, customers consistently or prospects rather struggle with, or I think my talk track is bad or the way I'm explaining it or pitching it. Tell me, Elisa, how do you manage this on the post-sales side? Because who uses our tool or is pitching our tool even more than, than sales at any software company you work at? It's your post-sales team. It's your onboarding team. It's people who are teaching your customers how to use the platform. So it can be really powerful from the sales perspective to say, hey, I'm struggling pitching this. or I'm struggling in trials to help people understand this feature. Go talk to your post-sales team. They'll tell you exactly their tips and tricks on how to get a specific feature adopted by, by prospects or customers. Yeah, I've done that a few times too where... If I have a topic that I'm thinking about, or like how customers are using this, I'll go over to Elisa. And I think CS is some of the most creative with the product. CS really knows all the shortcuts, fastest way to do things. So if you're ever writing a more enablement-focused piece, CS will instantly know the best way to do a certain use case. Put a bow on that, Natalie. What I would say is how can sales and marketing help with retention once a customer is on board? There should be an open line of communication between CS reps and sales teams specifically around, hey, this resonates really well on the pre-sales side. What bits or tidbits from this can you take over to post-sales? And then on the flip side, you know, what is post, what, what, what resonates very well for customers who are onboarding or in post-sales and how can we take that and apply it to some of our pre-sales activities and talk tracks as well? I agree with the open communication. What do you think is the best medium for that? Is it just like the one-on-ones we have? Is it Slack and grain clips? Think this all in theory sounds very nice. But when everyone's super busy, you're on a lot of calls, CS is on a lot of calls. How do you make sure that those sharing still happen? I admittedly wouldn't say we have a scalable way of doing this internally at Novatic today. It is very one-off-y in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. But I do think that in our weekly team meetings on Fridays, Elisa and Randy do a phenomenal job of, of sharing clips around aha moments that our customers have or things that our customers say about our product. So 
maybe that's a good outlet is create some sort of doc where you share some of those exciting aha moments and share those back and forth between marketing sales and CS. And you read my mind because I asked that question and then immediately was thinking like, oh yeah, at our team meeting every week we show clips. And I think honestly, it's like a very underrated way of just getting learnings across the entire company and for product too, right? I think it's also really helpful. Our engineers and our product team see, oh, this is what our customers liked. And I think it's also important. They're not always... We don't like choose negative ones, but they're not always just praises. It's also sometimes here's a unique use case, or this is how I'm approaching this, or this is what I'm struggling with from a customer. We'll get like five to 10 different clips and different customer perspectives in just an hour long meeting. And you walk away, oh, I feel like I learned something about our customer base today, almost every time. And I think maybe a broader conversation that we should preface this with is the post sales and I guess sales relationship specifically, it's it's super tricky. It's really hard because sales reps, we're, we're busy. We're on a million calls all the time, all day long. But sales, speaking to my salespeople here for a second, think about it. You close a deal, you pass it off to finance, you pass it off to onboarding. What happens next? Hands off. You never touch that deal again, likely. You probably never talk to that person again, most likely. Now think about the post sales team. Think about how many customers your company has. Your post sales team is responsible, not just for one or two calls. They don't get to pass it off to anybody else. So think about how busy they are. Think about how important it is to, to arm them with everything they need to know potentially about these numbers that you're sharing with them and have a little patience and do your best to work with them as much as you can. Because again, think about your calendar for a minute and how many companies you speak with and how you get to hand them off and you're done with them. Post sales doesn't have that luxury. So definitely keep that in mind. And Ben, I know we were talking about this a little bit before the call, but I think you had some really like actionable great ways of how you make sure that when you're doing that, that handoff, it's as successful as possible. Yeah, this is best practice that was not my idea. It was more of like a slap on the wrist from Elisa and Randy that I definitely needed, which was, you know, Ben, oh, we have all these deals coming in the door. Like you need to do a much better job of giving us more clarity, context, and background on who the heck we're talking to, why they care about Nevada, what they're interested in. Because we all know in, in SaaS or sales in general, like that first 45 days of when a customer signs to getting onboard, that is when that customer is so vulnerable so much of that success can help eliminate churn down the road. That's such a crucial part. So something that me and all of our sales reps do now is we have a handover notes section in Salesforce that provide context around this individual have a free trial. What are the features they are most interested in? What integrations do they want? Any red flags? Thing that if you were the CS or onboarding member, you would want to know. And so basically I've taught our sales reps here that do not pass over that Salesforce link until you feel like someone who has never talked to this company before can have all the context they need to run a successful onboarding call without you. And an extra like perk of that is that in marketing, then you can go and look at, let's say you're running a new campaign, go find all the deals that were closed from that campaign and read those handover notes. And you'll get a pretty good idea of, was this a good fit? What are they specifically interested in? What are they not interested in? And is this, is this a quality lead source? So those notes are also so helpful for marketing because we're often so curious about the leads we hand off and kind of never get to see them as people. So it's always really cool to go in and say like, oh, this is why they actually end up coming in and what they're interested in. This is the part of my campaign that probably resonated. Okay. I think we did a pretty good job wrapping up the tension, thinking of some good ways that we can help eliminate some of that tension. Again, marketing and sales can help even from the very first time you interact with the lead, get better quality, happier customers. Ben, any final thoughts on churn, sales, customer success? Nothing in particular, just, you know, churn obviously is, is difficult. We are, we're selling and, and working in obviously a difficult climate right now. 
keep in mind what we always tell our team, not all churn is created equal. Sometimes, you know, certain churn is unavoidable and it's sometimes certain churn is okay. So if you're on the post-sales side and you're feeling down or it's been a, a rough couple of weeks, month, quarter, whatever that is, just keep in mind, not all churn is created equal. Hyper-focus on your ICP and keeping them happy. I love that takeaway. I think that's one thing we've been really trying to think about is, is this churn because it was a bad fit, because we didn't do a good job enabling them, because, you know, maybe we just shouldn't have sold some in the first place, bucket out the churn and the churn reason, and try to measure yourself more on the churn that is the right fit, is the right ICP, and maybe just didn't get off the ground and hyper-focus on fixing that first before focusing too much on a bad fit that just like clearly was never going to be successful. Every company in churn should all be weighted slightly differently. Okay. I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Thanks everyone for listening again. As always, let us know what you want us to talk about. We'll be doing these every other week. Okay. Cheers.